Welcome to the Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. With nature's instructions, we can evolve a technological and social framework that can heal the earth and support all beings, including humans, in a symbiotic harmony. It's all alive. It's all connected. It's all intelligent. It's all relatives. Scientists tell us that concern with the environment will no longer be just one of many issues in this new century. It will move to center stage. It will become the context of everything, of our lives, our businesses, our politics. We are, in fact, moving from the information age to the age of biology. In this series, The Bioneers' Revolution from the Heart of Nature, we salute the Bioneers, the biological pioneers who are working with nature to heal nature. Honoring both traditional native wisdom and modern scientific knowledge, restoring the earth by changing the world. One definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting to get a different result. As we try to repair the damage we've done to the environment, perhaps we need to be questioning our most basic assumptions about how we live on the earth. After all, we didn't invent nature. Nature invented us. So we might start by asking the questions, how would nature do it? What are nature's designs? And what kind of society would think to ask those questions? It could just be that the answers to a sane future are hiding in plain sight. Join us for the next half hour as we explore ecological design, on the ground and in the water with John Todd, visionary biologist and president of Ocean Arcs International, and then out into the realms of design, politics, and spirit with award-winning scholar David Orr. My name is Neil Harvey. I'll be your host. Welcome to The Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. John Todd is an elder in the burgeoning field of biomimicry. He left the insane rut of doing the same things over and over again long ago. Since 1971, he has turned to the land and waterways around him for new ideas and has successfully enlisted the ancient, unimaginably powerful regenerative forces of nature to redesign human infrastructures that humans might live more lightly on the earth. Currently the director of Ocean Arcs International, he is the author of many books, and has won numerous awards for his simulated ecosystems, living technologies that purify sewage and wastewater, which now operate in eight countries. Recognized as one of the 35 most important inventors of the 20th century, he continues to chart the cutting edge as a research professor and teacher at the University of Vermont. John Todd spoke at a recent Bioneers conference. Over the past several decades, we have begun to decode and decipher the inner workings of nature. The three-plus billion-year-old language of nature is being revealed. And in its teachings, we are discovering the principles of design, the principles of ecological design. And it's upon these that we will be able to change how we live. With nature's instructions, we can evolve a technological and social framework that can heal the earth and support all beings, including humans, in a symbiotic harmony. This we are learning 
from the workings of the natural world. And through ecological design, we can cultivate a generation of stewards, of stewards of the earth. And ecological knowledge transcends human intelligence. And I'll just give you an example of that. If one is to take a pond and connect it to a marsh, and you do this as a sort of human architect or gardener, if you will, and then in turn you connect it to another kind of ecology in the background, when you link those three subsystems from nature together, you create, with the help of hundreds or thousands of species of organisms, a new kind of meta-intelligence. And when they come together as a living technology, they then allow you to do things that were impossible before. For example, you can use them to generate fuels. You can use them to grow foods. You can use them to transform waste into clean and usable products. You can use them to regulate climate in buildings. You can use them to restore damaged and degraded environments. So it is the bringing together of different ecologies and directing them with the human intelligence, the smallest part of it all, that marvelous things can begin to happen. John Todd has applied these ideas in a variety of ways. One such project is a wastewater treatment plant on the shore of Lake Champlain in Vermont. It's a lake that's beloved by many people, but it's also a lake in danger from human pollution, including sewage from the town of Burlington. Todd built a solar greenhouse that contains what looks like a magnificent garden, but things are not what they seem. Again, John Todd. He described to a Bioneers Conference audience images of the facility that presages a future without pollution, a world that eliminates the very concept of waste. There are over several hundred species of plants, many, many different forms of life, and that garden is a sewage treatment plant using ecological strategies to transform in just a little over two days raw sewage from the city of South Burlington into pure water. And it's made up of a whole bunch of tanks, big deep tanks that go down into the ground. And it's in these tanks that the ecology of life, hundreds of species, interacts with the waste at each stage in its transformation to provide an optical system powered by the, that great force, sunshine, to transform the waste. And in there are many, many different kinds of plants. Some plants that help grow bacteria and feed bacteria. Other plants that sort of sequester metals. And it's this symphonic action rather than the sort of the magic bullet of a simple solution that allows this rapid transformation to take place. Pure water. And part of the journey of the ecological designer is to look for allies. In fact, the ecological designer's journey is really a natural history tale to find those creatures that can be of use to it. These are snails, which basically keep these systems clean. And here is a tank full of several thousand species of fish. And what they do is eat the dead and dying bacteria. And because they do that, there's no secondary byproduct, a noxious byproduct called sludge. Sludge to an ecological designer is incomplete design. And then the plants, they spend their first 
year or so of their life with their roots on special racks in the water, and after that, they are separated out. And then they go out into the horticultural market, and there they become, in essence, purifiers of air. The early parts of their lives, they were purifiers of water. So what you're beginning to see is a new economic paradigm. Waste, sewage, as a source of economy. In just nine months, the fish in this system go from being worth a dollar to ten dollars. How would nature keep Lake Champlain's waters clean? By growing more fish, more plants, more snails, more life, and amazingly, it seems, more money. To demonstrate this new economic model on a commercial scale, John Todd is helping create the world's first eco-industrial agricultural park in Burlington. Unlike a normal industrial park, in this design, one building's waste provides a resource for another's food. All the enterprises are deliberately connected in ways that assist one another. At the heart of this new park are a wood-fired power station, the Gardener's Supply Company, a brewery, bakery, sauce company, and soy business, among others. Because Burlington is situated in the Intervale, a traditional farming area, the eco-industrial park is uniquely oriented to food and farming. The design is all about enhancing interconnections and connecting it to the character of this specific place, too. Again, Todd says the real secret is to use biological food webs, waste equals food, to transform materials we now regard as waste into things we value. In one greenhouse that purifies water, the water can be used to grow fish commercially, and about half the food for the fish is grown right in the system. Another example is the waste grain from the brewery. This waste, then, is taken and blended with manures from an organic poultry operation, and then into that we inject the spawn of mushrooms. And we do that inside these special chambers, and this this stuff then gets put inside bags. And what happens is the spawn becomes the mycelia of the mushroom, and it grows itself through and transforms the waste into something that is very, very useful. It starts to create essential amino acids like lysine. And in fact, what it's doing is taking the base material and actually making it into a highly valuable food, say for an animal. And along the way, because there's holes punched in these things, we're also producing a crop. So out of this comes these oyster mushrooms. So that not only is the base material valuable, it's cascading out the side, in this case a crop. And then, after several crops of mushrooms come out of that material that was in those bags, which wasn't worth anything when it started to speak of, that material is then put into these large bins. And after a period of a few weeks, the material is transformed one more time, and the crop that comes out of that is, of course, you know, thousands and thousands of earthworms. And what we do with these earthworms is blend them with aquatic plants, these little floating plants like duckweed, and make feeds for our animals, including the fish. And so after that is done, and the earthworms are mostly removed, their eggs are left behind, by the way, uh, then it goes into the next stage in the wintertime. And this material is a perfect medium for growing greens. And so all winter, when our local farmers are not growing these things, we're growing these crops on that same material that started out. So we're now at the fourth level or the fifth level of the cascade. So then, after that is done, in the spring, that material is bagged and sold as 
worm castings and worm composting, and the cycle repeats itself. And this allows us to begin to assemble the pieces of an agricultural sort of eco-park that, that is, in fact, cost-effective in an urban environment. And so the idea, or the dream, if you will, is to be able to take the things that we scarcely value, find the right kind of life forms to partner with, to transform them into things that everybody values. We're already beginning to think that some of the marginal farms could be, in fact, saved by having ancillary activities with perhaps new partnerships between new kind of agricultural entrepreneurs working, say, with existing dairy farmers or other kinds of things. The scope is really limitless. The other thing that we're doing in the eco-park is actually bringing the students. The Ecological Design Studio at the University of Vermont will come right down to have its feet in the ground and talking to the people who are trying to make this transformation. But some things we value transcend pure economic values, such as a small Massachusetts lake that John Todd put his hand to. The lake was so badly polluted from the 30 million gallons of waste coming off a nearby landfill that it was virtually comatose. Even though windmills he installed that brought oxygen-deprived water up from the lake's bottom started to revive the water, it just wasn't enough. So he designed a pond restorer, a floating ecology similar to a coral reef, and nature took its course of healing. And in this, with the sun and the wind, 100,000 gallons a day of this highly polluted water were pumped up through nine cells, and at each stage in the process, the water was transformed, and then the uh, great pond itself began to be transformed. Bottom sediments were digested, uh, carcinogenic uh, chemicals were, were broken apart, pathogens, and sediments were removed in a very short period of time. It was brought back to life. But because it still gets 30 million gallons a year of toxic material coming into it, it requires the ongoing support of a floating technology like that. John Todd, the president of Ocean Arcs International. When we return, we continue our look into ecological design with David Orr, author of The Nature of Design. I'm Neil Harvey. You're listening to The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature.
Today, biomimicry is starting to change how we make buildings and design our production systems. Bioremediation, using organisms such as plants and bacteria to digest wastes, is now a cost-effective industry already generating hundreds of millions of dollars in the United States alone. And other forms of ecological design are transforming the landscape of architecture. David Orr is a professor and chair of the Environmental Studies Program at Oberlin College. Applying principles of ecological design, asking the question, how would nature make a building for learning, he led the effort to design and build the now-famous state-of-the-art Environmental Studies Center at Oberlin. But David Orr believes that the most important transformation that must take place is between our ears. He spoke at a recent Bioneers conference. I want to uh, propose a marriage between design and politics and spirit. Now, that's a threesome, I know. (laughs) But then this is California. (laughs) So what I'd like to do for a few minutes is to talk about what does ecological design mean? What is it? And I think if design is going to be a robust concept, it has to be more than about making things. It has to be a much larger kind of concept. It has to eventually deal with systems and context, not just things. Now, when we think about design in this larger sense, design was on the minds of the founders of this republic. The Federalist Papers is a design manifesto. James Madison, one of the chief authors of the Federalist Papers in the 18th century, however, toward the the end of his life, early in the 19th century, Madison thought that they had figured things out for you and me or for this country for about maybe a century. Then he thought it would come undone. And in large measure, it has come undone. 19th century European socialists were designers of sorts. They were trying to design a better world. And they divided themselves into factions and competing viewpoints and all kinds of little movements within the movement. And David Brower's uh, sense of it or words, their strategy was to draw the wagons into a circle and shoot inward. <laughs> the 19th century European socialists pioneered that technique. They got good at it. And by the time the world was ready for a better solution to how we organize human affairs in a mass technological and industrial society, what we got was Bolshevism. And the rest, as they say, is history. Now, there is a design revolution underway, but we're losing, and we're losing badly. And we can lose the war, despite being right about lots of different things. We can lose the larger issues. We can lose the larger battle. If, in fact, we don't begin to combine this with politics and with spirit, this is a large concept, which is to say this is a radical concept. And the design questions I'd like to pose would be these. What's the design of a society that is capable of doing ecological design? What does that society look like? What is the design of institutions, whether a college where I teach or a corporation? What's the design of institutions and those structures in society that allows them to become capable of doing ecological design? What's the point of ecological design? The second question. What is the ultimate object? It's not about houses. 
It's not even about water. It's not about any of those systems. It's about how we think. The ultimate object of ecological design is the human mind. Now, that brings us to a, what I think is a branch point, and this is where some serious things need to be thought out and, and discussed. Wendell Berry would tell us we have two broad approaches to the way we make the human presence in the world. One is industrialism. We know that. That's the world we live in. We've been shaped by that world. It depends on cheap fossil fuels. It's extractive economy. It's all of those things that we know some of which we don't think much about, but that's the world in which you and I live. It's the world that has shaped us. There is a belief by some that industrialization done more cleverly, in fact, would be sufficient. That all we need to do, in Barry's words, is to be smarter, more clever. I don't believe that that will work. I don't think there is any way you can take a reformed industrial society, run the film fast forward, and have anything like a sustainable or spiritually sustaining society. I can't prove that. But I think if ecological design is to mean anything at all, it has to go deeper. Industrialism, if we leave the presuppositions of the industrial world in place, that leaves greed in place. We're told simply to be smarter about our greed, but that leaves illusion and greed and ill will right where they are now. I don't trust a world in which we leave self-interest so firmly in place or selfishness so firmly in, in the saddle. I don't think that world can be made to work, not with six or seven or eight or nine billion of us on the planet. But that takes us to a real conundrum because Wendell Berry then says the alternative is agrarianism. But when I say the word agrarian, I suspect in this particular seance we get a uh, a broad feeling of kind of a warm, fuzzy feeling of the agrarian world that feels good and kind of a crinkly-eyed farmer, probably a white male with a white picket fence and a red barn and a silo and cows grazing in a pasture. But then all of us would believe that that's cute, quaint, rustic, and long gone. How is it we bring that agrarian world back and does that word or the reality of being connected to the natural world become the basis for a design revolution? I think it does, but I think it takes some stretching. We think of uh, dichotomies of rural and urban. Maybe we ought to take those dichotomies away and think of ruralized cities and urbanized countryside. Maybe it's possible to join the sustainable agricultural movement with the sustainable urban movement, with the slow food movement, with urban gardening, with environmental justice movement. And now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting to a world where the pieces begin to fit together. And if we don't do this, my fear about ecological design is it can so easily be co-opted by other people who will take it and make it something else. Greener Walmarts don't do it for me. Greener Nike corporate headquarters don't do it for me. Greener buildings in which we do browner things don't do it for me. I would suggest that ecological design requires not just a change in our capabilities, which it certainly does, but more than that, a change in our language capabilities. We're human primarily, well, for lots of different reasons, but what makes us so distinctive 
is our capacity and facility with language. And I want to propose that we take words back, that we begin to understand how important words are and how they're used politically. We have resources, not nature. Well, that's convenient if you're an economist of the neoclassical mode. We have human resources, not people. I want to talk about people again. We talk about producing energy. We don't produce energy. We extract energy. I've got a second suggestion. I hang my hat in a college, and I, I believe in education. And I believe that the problem we face is a problem of mind, which makes it uh, particularly important to places that purport to improve minds. I think education is a place to begin. We can begin to change the world, not only because of what we teach, but how we design, how we build campuses, how colleges and universities buy. And so education, I think, is a second leverage point. And education ought to begin with the power of words and the power of language appropriately and carefully used. I don't see any way out of this unless design and spirit and politics are merged. We have got to become political once again. But in contrast to the the 19th century European socialists, we need to merge around a vision, a worldview. I don't know if the word sustainability captures it, but the practical import of that word is ecological design, but ecological design as a big concept so that when future generations look back at the pioneers and the work of all of you and all of us in this room, they'll say they finally did get it right, that we did figure out how to blend spirit and politics and earth all together in a way that was lasting. And this could be our finest hour. David Orr, author of The Nature of Design. The work of pioneers like John Todd and David Orr shows us how life really is all connected, that we can stop the insanity of doing the same destructive things again and again and expecting a different result. By changing our most basic design assumptions and asking, how would nature do it? And what kind of society asks how nature would do it? Then we will know we are beginning to create a truly sustainable world. To find out more about the work and writings of John Todd and David Orr and all the participants in this series, and to find out more about the annual Bioneers Conference, call Bioneers toll-free at 1-877-246-6337. That's 1-877-BIONEER. Or visit the Bioneers website at bioneers.org. To become a member of the Bioneers or to buy a cassette tape, CD, or transcript of this program, please call toll-free 1-877-BIONEER. That's 1-877-246-6337. To read more about the work of the Bioneers, check out the Bioneers Anthology book series, including Ecological Medicine, Healing the Earth, Healing Ourselves, and Nature's Operating Instructions, The True Biotechnologies, published by Sierra Club Books. The Bioneers' Revolution from the Heart of Nature is a production of Collective Heritage Institute. Executive producer, Kenny Osabel. Written by Kenny Osabel and Neil Harvey. Managing producer, Diane Solomon. Associate producer, Stephanie Welch. Distribution and promotion, WFMT Radio Network. 
Our theme music is taken from the album Journey Between by Baca Beyond and used by permission of Hannibal Records, a Ryko disc label. Additional music was made available by Six Degrees Records at www.sixdegreesrecords.com. For more music information, please visit Bioneers.org. The opinions expressed in the Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature radio series are those of the presenters and are not necessarily those of Collective Heritage Institute, the underwriters, or this radio station. My name is Neil Harvey. Thank you for listening. I invite you to join the Bioneers in restoring the environment by changing the world. This is program number 0304.